All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to begin in chapter 6, and then we're going to uh, go to uh, 7, and finally 8. Let's begin in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. And um, if you're following along in the daily Bible reading, you'll know that this is this week's daily Bible reading, so hopefully you'll get a tip or two on how to handle this if you're reading it. But we're going to begin at verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. Verse 30, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now you know by looking at this verse of Scripture that this is not enough information for you and I to know what to think about this verse. So it begins with the word then. Then the apostles gathered. It means that after what Mark just said, the apostles gathered to Jesus. And in the daily Bible reading, you're going to read about the beheading of John the Baptist in chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. It's a rather gruesome account of how John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, was arrested. He was imprisoned. And then ultimately at the whim of Herodias, because she didn't like him, he was beheaded. The Bible tells us in verse 29 that when the disciples heard of it all, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So you can imagine the disciples are a little down. They're a little discouraged. They're a little depressed. They've just gone through this horrible, horrible, horrible death experience that John the Baptist had. But if I take the word then out in verse 30, and I start with the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught, I still don't have enough information. And so I must go back again. And if you're reading this uh, daily Bible reading, you're going to discover that right before John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus sent out the twelve disciples, and He sent them out two by two, and He gave them power over unclean spirits, and He commanded them to share the gospel of the kingdom. And they were excited. They were really excited about that. And so you have these two things going on. The disciples who are dealing with the death of John the Baptist and the disciples who are excited to share with Jesus all that they have been doing as they've been going out two by two and preaching that the people should repent. Watching as many people were healed as they were anointed with oil. And so Jesus' response to that in verse 31, He said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. We need to take a break. We need to stop what we're doing and we need to take a break. And He describes it in greater detail. He says, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Their schedule was so hectic, their schedule was so full of ministry, that the disciples and the Lord didn't even have time to stop and eat. And by the way, from this point on, Jesus is going to take His disciples aside and rest a while 
or take them from the crowds four times. He's doing it here. He's going to do it when he goes to Tyre and Sidon. He's going to do it when he goes to the Decapolis. And he's going to do it when he goes up to Caesarea Philippi. And he sits there by the rocks, probably by the Jordan River where it starts. And he asks the disciples that very important question, who do people think that I am? And so the Bible says that it's important by example here for us sometimes when we're overwhelmed to just stop and rest a while. Now we have an earlier illustration of this in Mark chapter 3. That's why when you tell me you're going on vacation, I'm excited for you. I just wish I could go with you. <laughs> That's when I, when I hear that you get a chance to stop and rest a while. I'm excited about that. I'd like the opportunity to stop and rest a while as well. But to show you how important this is and why this is not just a sidelight, in chapter 3, you'll discover in chapter 3 that the multitude, in verse 20, the multitude came together again so that the disciples could not as so much as eat bread. Again, their schedule is so hectic that they don't have time to eat. And I want you to see what happens in verses 21 and 22. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, Jesus is out of his mind. You're not in your right mind if you don't stop and eat. You're not in your right mind if you don't get rest from your labor. And so I think it's important to put that in the context of Jesus saying to the disciples, listen, we need to take time to rest. So verse 33 says, The multitude saw him departing. He got into a boat somewhere around Capernaum. And he got into a boat with the disciples. And they sailed along the coast of the Sea of Galilee till they got to a deserted place on the other side of Bethsaida. Now, unless you've been to the Holy Land or you know anything about geography, that's probably not going to matter to you. But it does help anyone understand what happens next. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived at the deserted place that he was going to rest with his disciples before they got there. I can just see them out in the boat. They're headed to this deserted place on the other side, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and they see people on the shore in the distance, running, 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 watching the boat, seeing where the boat comes ashore. And then when Jesus and his disciples arrive at that spot, they're all there waiting for him. What does Jesus do? Does Jesus say, oh, this is horrible. Here we were, we're going to rest, and now we can't do that. No, what does Jesus do in verse 34? And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was what? Everybody together. He was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Because they were wandering around aimlessly. They didn't have someone to guide them. He could see all of this. 
And so he taught them and 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 taught them all day long until the day was now far spent in verse 35. And the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already it's getting late. It's late afternoon now. And I think it's important for us to let this crowd go so they can go into some of the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I find it very interesting what Jesus says to them next. But Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. (laughs) The assignment is to you, the disciples. I want you to give them something to eat. And they said, wait a minute, we don't understand. Now don't forget, they had already gone two by two. God had given them wonderful miracles as they went out to preach the kingdom. And they're questioning the Lord. I've always, I've always liked these passages. If you get nothing else out of the Gospels because you know them so well, one of the things that you and I need to do with the Gospels is we need to look at our prayer life and the nature of our prayer life to see how healthy our prayer life is by analyzing the reactions and the responses that people made to Christ. Because you're going to find your own attitude in your prayer life in there. And here's the disciples. I mean, think about this. How many times we look at our prayer lives and we say, we're going to look at all the prayer passages in the Bible and we forget the numerous times that people actually talked to the Son and made requests to Him of a personal nature. So the disciples were given an assignment and they said, wait a minute, we can't buy enough food for these people. It would take... 200 denaria. We'd have to have 200 people who got a day's wage to go and buy enough for these people to eat. And then Jesus said to them in verse 38, well, how how many loaves do you have? Now, you and I know the account in John where they found a boy who had five loaves and two fishes. Mark doesn't mention that, but Mark says that they went and they looked over the whole crowd. They asked around, they talked, and they found this little boy who had five loaves and two fishes. Go and find out how much we have. And they came back and told him. And he says, okay, make everybody sit down in groups on the green grass, sit down in ranks, hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven. And this is a great passage of scripture for dads. And let me tell you why this is a great pact, and for men in general. But it's a great passage of scripture because when men come to me and say, you know what, I'm too self-conscious to pray. I point him to this passage right here. And I say, well, let's take a look at Jesus here when he was feeding the 5,000. The Bible said that when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and they divided among all the people. Why don't you start easy by praying at home at mealtime? And most people say, I can do that. I think I can do that. I can ask the Lord to bless the food. I can thank the Lord for what he has given. Start there. If you just cannot pray out loud or cannot pray with anybody there, your family, you certainly ought to be able to start with your family at mealtime. This is a great passage of Scripture to encourage that. Well, the Bible says everybody ate, everybody was filled. They took up 12, how many basket loads? They took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish. 
Now, these are small baskets. How do I know? Well, the Greek word for basket here is a small wicker basket. You'll say, why is that detail important? Well, because of the next miracle. So they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish, and when everybody had eaten, they discovered that it was about 5,000 people. Now, I just love to take this miracle, and I love to imagine it. I like to sit down and I like to imagine what it must have been like when he took a piece of bread and he started breaking it and every time he would break it, it would just multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. And I wonder what the reaction of the disciples had been when that happened. Were their eyes wide open? Were they saying, wow, this is incredible. Where is all that food coming from? Now, the Bible says that after this happened, Jesus walks on the sea because he sends his disciples in a boat to go to Bethsaida. And when the multitude went away, he went into the mountain to pray. And you'll remember when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. And the disciples are straining, trying to row to get to shore. And the wind will not let them get to shore. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And you'll remember, this is so familiar that I don't think we need to look at the details of this passage of Scripture. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought, this must be a ghost. Nobody can walk on the sea, especially in the winds and the waves, the way they are, no matter what kind of trick they pull. And the Bible says that they were troubled, and they immediately talked, but he immediately talked with them and said what? Everybody together. Be of good cheer. Everybody together. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. He went into the boat and what happened to the storm? It ceased. The wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. And I wonder, you know, when you look at your prayer life, I told you this is a good, good way to look at your prayer life. How many times do you see the Lord working in your behalf when you say, my, I'm amazed. I am finding this answer to my prayer incredible. Now, verse 42 connects this passage with the previous one. For they had not understood about the lows because their heart was hardened. See, you don't want that side of this. You don't want the disciples in their unbelief saying, this can't possibly happen. Why is he doing it? You want to say, thank you, Lord. This is a marvelous answer to prayer. But Jesus says they had not understood about the loaves. Don't you wonder what didn't they understand? They saw it multiplied. Were they not sure where it was coming from? <laughs> what was the problem? They didn't understand. So we have several other passages of Scripture. Uh, we can connect Chapter 7, verse 1, with chapter 6 as well, because these, you know, Mark is one of those snapshot books. You know, it's uh, take a picture, and it's worth a thousand words. 
You'll notice when you're reading Mark that he'll give you a bits and pieces of information, but he won't give you the, all of the details of, of a single event for the most part. And you'll see the word immediately, immediately, immediately. I was listening to a pastor on, 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 on the radio who was talking about the day when you and I had cameras and we would take snapshots and those snapshots would be on a roll of film. And in order for us to get those pictures, we would have to take them to a store and we would have to put them in the store and, and then they would call us a week later and say, your film is in. You all remember those days, right? And if you had some film that was left on your roll, you, you snapped those pictures so you could get the rest of the film. And then the Instamatic camera came where you snapped the picture and it came out of your camera and and you had to wait for about 15, 20 seconds for it to develop, you see. There's no waiting here. Mark is talking to the Romans, to Rome, the Roman mind. And Mark, in talking to the Roman mind, knows that they want the facts. They don't necessarily want all the details. They want the information that they need to know. So if you go through in your daily Bible and you read through the book of Mark, you'll discover the word immediately is used constantly, constantly, constantly. Immediately this happened. Immediately that happened. These are quick snapshots. But the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because when you put all of these snapshots together, and those of you who are doing the Bible reading will really appreciate this, especially in the first nine chapters. When you go through the first, nine, first eight or nine chapters and you put all of that together, you come with a definite conclusion about who Jesus is and how powerful He is and what He can do for you. Look at all the reactions that His opponents have. Analyze all of them. And you'll be able to brush through every single one and come to the conclusion that uh, Peter comes to when Jesus asks that question, who do people say that I am? It will be unmistakable. So we could take the next snapshots in chapter 4, and, and I mean in chapter 6 and 7 rather, and we could put them in the context of chapter 6, but I want to go all the way to the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 8, verses 1 and following. You know, he didn't just feed the multitude once, he did it twice. He did it twice. Several weeks later, he did it again. In those days, the multitude became very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, What? I have compassion on the multitude, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. They have exhausted all of their lunches, They've exhausted all of their food. That first feeding was a day. They had been with him a day. They had been with him three days. And Jesus said, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way. For some of them have come a great distance. And so his disciples answered him and said, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now, now think about this for a second happened several weeks before this time. Do you see that? 
Several weeks before this time, Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fishes, and the disciples are coming back to him several weeks later and saying, how is this going to happen? How on earth can we possibly feed all these people? And I'm encouraged when I read that. Because I tell you what, a lot of time I'm as dense as the disciples were. <laughs> Seriously. I'm as dense as the disciples were, and so are you. How many times do you go to the Lord in prayer, and you say to the Lord, you know what, Lord, I'd love you to do this, and then you wonder, I wonder if he's just finished with me on this. I wonder if he's going to answer my prayer a second time. I wonder if he's done and over with this. I wonder whether I can have enough faith to believe that he'll do it again. The disciples don't get it. And the Bible tells us that Jesus says that their hearts are a little hardened on this issue. They do not really understand it. So they say to Jesus, well, how, how can we satisfy all the people with bread here in the wilderness? There's nothing here. And Jesus asks the same question. He says, how many loaves do you have? He sends them out, and they're going out, and they're scrounging around, and they're talking to everybody, and they're trying to find out how much, how much food there is in this crowd of 4,000 people. And they come back to Jesus, and they say, we have seven. I wonder if at that point the disciples are starting to think, wait a minute, this, this reminds me, this is deja vu, this reminds me of something else that just happened. I wonder if they started to think about it then. Well, don't be too sure. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. He did the very same thing he did with the first feeding of the 5,000. And they also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, verse 7, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven, how many baskets? Seven, what kind of baskets this time? It's a different Greek word than the baskets in the last one. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. And because you and I don't know Greek, and I almost never discuss it from the pulpit because we have great English translations, they translate it by saying the first time were small baskets, the second time they were large baskets. In fact, they were so large you could put a person in them. Remember, they let Paul down from the city wall of Damascus in one of these large baskets. They took up seven basketfuls of leftovers. And now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. A little city there along the Sea of Galilee. Now if I were a critic, critics have done this. If I were a critic, I would say, yeah, you know what, Mark, you're confused. You're talking about the same event, but you don't even remember the details, and for some reason you put the same event twice in your book. Critics do that. They love to do that kind of a thing. You know, if you cannot, if you cannot 
deal with some, something on the issue of the merits of the issue itself, what do you do? You discredit the messenger. That's one of the first fallacies that there is when you study logic. You discredit the messenger. And the critics will discredit John Mark and say, John Mark, you're confused. You don't know what you're talking about. You've got, two, you've got one event mixed up and you're giving details. Now listen, it's important for you and I the Roman mind didn't need it, but it's important for you and I to look at the details in this passage of Scripture. And you need the eye to understand that we can compare this with the last passage and we can contrast it with the last passage. In both passages, there were hungry people. In both passages, there was a deserted place. In both passages, you had perplexed disciples. In both passages, you had meager provisions. In both passages, you had the same formula for the prayer and you had leftovers, and in both passages, Jesus is prompted by his compassion. But there's a lot of contrast as well. The places are different. One is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, the other one was nearby Capernaum. The number of people are different, 5,000 versus 4,000. The amount of food is different, five loaves and two fishes versus this food here. You have one day with the first group, three days with the second group. You have leftovers. The leftovers are different, 12 baskets, small baskets, seven large baskets. You sometimes need to look at those details when someone wants to be critical of God's Word and try to destroy the credibility of the author. And let me just simply say this. Go to chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, when Jesus is dealing with the disciples because they don't even get it the second time. And Jesus himself confirms that there were true two accounts when he says in verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. Also when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. I find that a lot of times people don't get it. And people don't, uh, it's easy to criticize the scripture because all you read are some of the facts. You don't get the, all of the facts, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And Jesus is confirming the truth of what Mark just stated. But I want to look at this now in closing because there's a great application here that all of us need to keep in mind. So after the feeding of the 4,000, some Pharisees come to Jesus and like the Pharisees, I, 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 the problem I have with this passage of Scripture in verse 11, the Pharisees come and say, Lord, we need a sign. It's almost like the disciples still need a sign. They're not totally convinced of what they've seen in the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. They're still not totally convinced. They still have some hang-ups in their mind about it all. There's still some element of unbelief. There's still some hardness of heart. And Jesus refers to that as hardness of heart. Not the kind of hardness of heart that leaves someone in a situation where it doesn't make any difference what you say. It doesn't make any difference what you do. My heart is not going to change. I'm going to believe what I want. Regardless, I cannot be persuaded. The disciples can be persuaded and they will be persuaded. But in verse 13, after he deals with the Pharisees, he left them, and getting into a boat again, he departed to the other side. 
And now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. I find this whole situation froth with humor. You already see it, don't you? Here they are, they're going on a little journey here across the sea and they only took one loaf of bread with them. Now, do you think the disciples only took one loaf of bread because they were thinking, oh, guess what? If we need more bread, Jesus is going to multiply it. In fact, he's not going to do it because he has a bigger, bigger purpose in all of this. But you see, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. They hadn't purposely decided not to do it, thinking, ah, Jesus will just produce some more bread. And so when they got into the boat, Jesus charged them in verse 15, and he said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He says, listen, I want you to understand the spiritual nature of the leaven, the bread that I'm talking about. Do you think they get it? No, they don't get it. And Jesus had just given, by the way, the disciples had just been through this defilement that comes from within in chapter 7, verse 1, that you're going to read about this week, which is going to be pretty exciting to read about. And they still don't get it. And so what are they doing? They're arguing among themselves. They're reasoning among themselves, and they're saying, is, God, is Jesus blaming us for having no bread? Is he telling us that we're ill-prepared? Now, now listen, does any of that make any sense? He didn't scold the, the people for being ill-prepared, the 5,000. He didn't scold the 4,000 for being ill-prepared. He didn't say to them, listen, you guys should have known we're going to be out here a while, and you should have made sure that you had provisions sent in if you needed them. No. But they're reasoning that way. They're saying, why is the Lord charging? They don't see the spiritual nature of this at all. Now, the Pharisees had just come to Jesus and said, we need a sign from heaven. So you can connect those two pretty easily, but let's move on. They reason among themselves saying, is it because we have no bread, verse 16? But here's Jesus' final remarks to them. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? No, you don't. Is your heart still hardened? Yes, it is. Having eyes, do you not see? No, we don't. Having ears, do you not hear? No, we don't. And do you not remember? No, we don't. <laughs> we don't remember with any, any value to that memory at all. You see, we easily forget as human beings the past miracles that God performs for us. And the thing that you and I need to keep in mind here is that God performed that miracle once, He performed it a second time, and He'll perform it a third, a fourth, a fifth. He'll perform it as many times as He needs to perform it to fulfill His purpose. I, I said not recently, I said to someone, you know, I, I, do, I love to calculate the answers to my prayer. I like to classify them and I love to, I love to put a number to them. Every once in a while, I'll have a prayer request and I'll say, wow, Lord, that was something. But, Lord, I, I don't know if you'll ever do that again. Have you ever done that? Say, well, you answered that prayer, but I bet the next five prayer requests I make, you won't answer. You ever do that? You ever do that? <laughs> no? Jesus 
will do it as often as he needs to do it. But the third time, he doesn't do it for the disciples. And the reason why is the disciples need to understand, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that Jesus set them up for this lesson. He really did. He set them up for this lesson. And the one thing that you and I need to keep in mind is that God has all things, he has everything worked out. He's been at this longer than you and I. He's more concerned about the success of your life and the provisions and the protections of your life than you and I are. He's got this all covered in so many ways. And I guess I, here's an illustration that I think I can share with you that says it all. When Jesus says to them in verse 21, he says, when he says to them in he says to them in verse 21, how is it that you do not understand? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know my plans and my purposes and my care and my concern and the fact that I am intricately involved in every phase of your lives? Here's the illustration. Let me close with this illustration. My mother's father, which would be this guy's granddad, was a carpenter. On this particular day, he was building some crates for the clothes his church was sending to orphanages in China. On his way home, he reached into his shirt pocket to find his glasses, but they were gone. When he mentally replayed his earlier actions, he realized what had happened. The glasses had slipped out of his pocket unnoticed and fallen into one of the crates which he had nailed shut. His brand new glasses were headed for China. The Great Depression was at its height and Grandpa had six children. He had spent $20 for those glasses that very morning. They were brand new. He was really upset by the thought of having to buy another pair. It's not fair, he told God as he drove home in frustration. How many times have you said that? It's not fair, God. I've been very faithful in giving of my time and money to your work. And now this? Months later, the director of the orphanage was on furlough in the United States. He wanted to visit all the churches that supported him in China, so he came to speak one Sunday at my grandfather's small church in Chicago. The missionary began by thanking the people for their faithfulness in supporting the orphanage. But most of all, he said, I must thank you for the glasses you sent last year. You see, the communist had just swept through the orphanage, destroying everything, including my glasses. I was desperate. Even if I had the money, there was simply no way of replacing those glasses. Along with not being able to see... I experienced headaches every day, so my co-workers and I were much in prayer about this. Then your crates arrived. When my staff removed the covers, they found a pair of glasses wedged between two blankets. The missionary paused long enough to let his words sink in, then still gripped with the wonder of it all, he continued... Folks, when I tried on the glasses, it was as though they had been custom made just for me. I want to thank you for being a part of that. The people listened, happy for the miraculous glasses, 
But the missionaries surely must have been confused because they're with their church, with another church, because there were no glasses on their list of items to be sent overseas. But sitting quietly in the back with tears streaming down his face, an ordinary carpenter realized the master carpenter had used him in an extraordinary way. You and I couldn't have planned that if we wanted to. You and I couldn't have thought through the details if we wanted to. But God had it all worked out. Oh, the day comes when the disciples do understand. The day comes when the disciples do see Jesus for who he really is and what he can do. And they know that time after time after time after time, as often as it takes, he is going to perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Amen? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the encouragement that we read about in these passages of Scripture. Lord, we look at our own hearts, and we know how stubborn we are to believe the truth, how in our belief we have unbelief, how we argue with you, how we blame you, how we often are upset with you because of the things that happen. Not knowing that in all of this, you not only work out the details of every step we take, but Heavenly Father, you work out the answers to our prayers and concerns. Not always the way we want, but always the way that's best, always the way that's right, always the way that's good. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.